as we uh, as we look at the founding of the church, essentially in Acts chapter two, the start of the the true truest start of the kingdom of Christ, we recognize that this church that formed in Jerusalem was part of something that was special. It was something that was, of course, holy and set apart. And because this was a special time, there are some ways that I think we differentiate, and I think for good reason. We've got to make sure that we don't look at the book of Acts and see the Christians exactly doing something and immediately transfer it and say, since they did this, we can do this. We've got to harmonize. We've got to discern. We've got to look at certain things. Of course, uh, uh, there are different things that we see with that. But we don't need to allow that thought or that concept to get us away from the base, uh, from the core values, the core issues that we see going on here. As the church is formed, as these people come together, we see in Acts 2 and verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions all and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Here in this very passage, we've got some things that still go on today, that still can be enjoyed and appreciated by members and parts of the kingdom of Christ today. We have other things that aren't really going on today, uh, many wonders and signs and things like that. But note as well, who were these things being done by? They were done, being done by the apostles. And we can still study in the Bible today about the wonders of the apostles and the things that they did. The other thing I think we can see is that they, they had all things in common. They sold their possessions and divided them among them all. Uh, we've got to parse out and remember the context and where they were and things like that. I, I, I hope we're all on the same page here. But let me stress this. As we think about our work in the local congregation, that's really what I want to talk about this morning. How, how do I think about that? What is my mindset concerning that? How important is this congregation to me? That's an interesting balance there. Because on the one hand, we have to be concerned primarily about the kingdom, right? The kingdom is our truest example of what should be put forward. And so we can go and we can help and we can do anywhere and everywhere. But there is an importance put toward the congregation. We see these people, they're spending time breaking bread from house to house. That's implying their time together outside of worship. And the thought that they had this gladness, this simplicity of heart, the thought that they were together in this. And their, their modus, their, their whole plan was to praise God here. And they were blessed for that. They're added to that church overall. Paul, in Acts chapter 9, sought to join himself to this same church. And that's important to me. As we approach this concept of working in the local congregation, let's recognize that when it says that Paul sought to join himself to those disciples, it didn't mean that he was just 
wanting to get on their directory or get on their, you know, get on the roll of things to do. He was entering into a relationship with that congregation. The same word, by the way, joined is the same thing when we're talking about a uh, husband leaving his wife and uh, leaving his family and cleaving to his wife. So how important is that relationship? Of course, I'm not suggesting that our relationship to local congregation is uh, necessarily the same importance, but it's got to mean something. It's got to mean something. Many, of course, obey the gospel of Christ without fully realizing what they've undertaken uh, in their life, the, the responsibilities that they've taken under. Responsibilities that must be cared for. We have some in this world who are baptized before really understanding what it means to be a Christian. Am I suggesting we have to run them through a five-year course of before they get baptized to make sure they know every ins and outs of being a Christian and what this means? No, I'm not saying that at all. I am saying that we must be careful to teach the whole counsel of God, as Paul talked about in Acts 20 27 to the Ephesian elders. We have to make sure that we are emphasizing even to those who maybe have been baptized, have entered into this covenant, covenant relationship with God, and yet do not appreciate, do not work for God, do not strive for God in a local congregation. Can you become a Christian and go just be on your own, be a hermit, and, you know, yeah, sure, you're a Christian at that point, but are you a worker in the kingdom? That's the big question. So I want to talk about, first of all, I want to talk about our individual work as Christians. Then I want to talk about our collective work. What is expected of me? When I go into a job, when I go into some sort of work, I, I need to know what's expected of me. I need to know the responsibilities that I have to fulfill. And let me suggest again as we approach this, if I'm not a member of a local congregation, the things that I'm talking about today are going to be vastly, severely reduced. And at the same time, if I'm not appreciating the local congregation for what it is, it's the same essential thing. Let's talk about our individual work as Christians. What is God expecting of us? See, th this is the thing we need to remember. This is not what other people are expecting of us. This is not what our fellow church members are. This is not even, if you have a congregation with elders, uh, this is not even what the elders expect of you. This is what God expects of you as an individual Christian. So what's our individual work? Well, first of all, my first responsibility is to God. In Acts chapter 5, Acts 5 and verse 29, what was, Paul, what, what was Peter's emphasis when they were brought in by the ruling Jews? Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. I need to have a mindset as I work with a local congregation. I'm doing this for the sake of God. When I begin to do it for the sake of my members, when the whole motivation is to please them and other people, it's going to greatly interfere with my ability to do the work. I'm supposed to remain in a local congregation once I've joined it only as long as it is doing as that congregation is doing the will of God. In Acts 9 again, Paul seeks to join the disciples. Acts 9, verse 28, uh, 26, excuse me. Acts 9, verse 26. Saul sought to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, it says, and did not believe that he was a disciple. By the way, that's not an altogether bad thing. 
It's okay. It's needed for us to, when someone approaches us and wants to become a part of what we're doing, it's, it's, you know, we certainly don't want to remain skeptical forever. But we have to have a healthy sense of saying and simply asking some basic questions as far as where they are spiritually. Unfortunately, too many are converted to a building and would not leave that building no matter what is being taught or practiced. They get into a place where things are comfortable. They feel like, well, this is where my, this is where my granddaddy worshipped, this is where my daddy worshipped, and this is where I'm going to worship. And we see that all throughout the world. Uh, of course, that's an infection among brethren that we see in the denominational world. We see it uh, among religion everywhere. This is what my parents did, and so I'm going to do the same thing. We have to be willing to think as individuals, critically think as individuals. And so specifically, in a, in, we, we're looking at a general sense to God, but specifically, my responsibility as an individual is to live godly, to seek righteousness, to walk humbly, and keep myself unspotted from the world. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14 deals with that. The fact that we've been given the grace of God. Why has God forgiven us? Why has God given us this grace? Well, it's because that, that grace has appeared to all men. And that grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And further than this, the thought that we're supposed to be looking for the hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus. And he further says that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We need to be seeking something. And the interesting thing about it is the church as it currently exists, if you consider that it is, the, it is the pinnacle of what God expects his relationship to be with man while man is on the earth. Have you ever thought about that? From this point until Judgment Day, it's not like there's going to be this better thing that's going to get better in the earth as far as our relationship with God. Everything we need to have to have a relationship with God is here right now. And so we as individuals need to take hold of that. And understand that it is upon me to have this relationship with God, to seek these good things, to be zealous for good works, and to make sure that I am pure before Him. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22, Paul says, Flee youthful lusts. Flee those things that are going to pull you back. Flee those things that are going to take you back to where you were. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now note what he says there in 2 Timothy 2.22. We're to pursue these things in a replacement of getting away from the negative things. If I just get away from the negative things, guess what? I'm going to be sitting there twiddling my thumbs, watching that thing, and sooner or later I'm going to go back to it. But I must pursue this righteousness. But do I do it alone? No. Paul says I do it with those who call on the Lord out of the pure heart. So someone becomes a Christian someone understands what the truth is, they need to be seeking a place where they can be. They need to be seeking a place where they can be seeking God with others that have the same mindset. Now, of course, this doesn't mean they're going to agree on every little thing. But in a general sense, recognizing, as we've talked about even this year, the authority of God, the authority of what He has before us. 1 Peter 5, verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Can I do that without placing membership with a local congregation? 
I mean, there's a sense where I can do it individually, but let me tell you, again, that work is going to be hampered. And again, it's not about getting on the directory or on the membership role. It's a sense of submission to understand that we work together. We don't work uh, uh, without each other. So God is expecting me as an individual to keep that pure religion, uh, James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion. And when you think about it, consider in Ephesians 5, in Ephesians 5, so many people, I guess I, this is a balance of sorts, so many people seem to be looking for a place that is just their perfect estimation of what the church ought to be. Uh, you really need only go to places like uh, Birmingham, where there's a number of different churches everywhere, to find people that, uh, I, I, don't, I don't demean them when I say this, but they're kind of church hoppers. They go to a place, and it seems like everything's going okay, and they want to join up with that congregation. Okay. Well, once a few things start to come off, you know, they're just, well, this isn't really what I want. Guess what? They jump ship, and in a place like, though, you know, places where you've got a lot of faithful congregations, you can go 10 minutes down the road, and it's another faithful congregation. Nothing wrong spiritually, except that they keep looking for something that doesn't exist. We're not going to find the, the perfect congregation. We've got the perfect book. And we've we, we got good people. And we can, we can work with that. And, and this is going to help, right? I mean, if we are what we ought to be as individuals, look at what Paul says in Ephesians 5.27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, she should be holy and without blemish. It takes time for that to happen. And when I see something that's off, I need to take a look at myself and say, am I all that I need to be? Am I investing as much as I need to be? Now, as I say these things this morning, as we continue on to the next point, I want to remind you, I'm not saying these things so that we look throughout our congregation and we say, oh, that person's not doing what they should be doing. That person's not. I'm not instigating a witch hunt. In fact, what we want to, what we need to be doing is looking within ourselves and asking myself, am I what I ought to be for the sake of God, first of all, and for the sake of our local congregation? My individual work, my individual motivation, what am I doing as an individual? Because what I'm doing, how I'm acting as an individual, that will communicate, that will spread into that collective work. And so I really appreciated uh, some of the things that, well, all the things that Brother Larry mentioned earlier this year, but one of the things that he talks about when bitterness creeps in and spreads, I think he used the term, becomes a fellowship of the miserable. You know, people that are together, but they're not enjoying being together. And let me suggest to you that, that it's not just something where we just have to do this big collective thing to change that. It starts with us all of us as individuals. And so I just want to offer that to you. Let's talk about our collective work. The individual work and collective work of a Christian is, of course, different. And there's some distinctions that we can make. Let me suggest that my primary responsibility to the local church is to the church's elders. Uh, with those elders, uh, qualified elders, I will obey them. 
I will follow their examples. We've got plenty of scripture for this. I'm going to uh, listen to them, to work with them, cooperate with them, respect them, and encourage them. I will be praying for them just as they pray and look out for me. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. In Hebrews 13, verses 7 and verse 17, we're encouraged to remember those who rule over us, who have spoken the word of God to us. And it's interesting, this, this language that he uses here too in Hebrews 13, he says, Whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And so what the Hebrew author seems to be pointing to is the fact that we look at the fruits of these elders to consider what's going on there. Later on in the chapter, verse 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Why? For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. 1 Peter 5, 1-4, we won't turn there for time's sake, but you remember Paul says, uh, exhorting the elders among him to shepherd the flock of God which is among them. And the fact that they will receive this crown, this glory that does not fade away. Some of us might be saying, well, wait a minute, we don't have elders. We don't have elders at our congregation. Well, let me suggest that it is our responsibility to help the congregation have elders. And let me suggest to you that this is not something that we have to accomplish right now, of course. But let's recognize that a congregation that does not have elders, could we say that it is functioning in a way that is not technically completely scriptural? Again, I'm not saying that's some big problem that we need to stop right now. But I just want to ask... Uh, we need to make sure that we don't get to a point where we are comfortable in a situation where we do not have elders. There needs to be a constant focus. And I think uh, Brother, uh, Brother Mark, I think it was last week or the week before, mentioned about having a vision. We talked about that briefly in one of the classes. We don't have elders here at North Columbus, but let me suggest to you that we need elders and there may come a day, hopefully, Lord willing, that we can have that. And we need to be willing to plan for that. I, I do think we see in Acts 14.23, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. There is the sense that we need to be training, growing, and equipping elders. That's part of our work as Christians. And so let me ask, are we working? And let me say this as well. The work starts when they're little babies. Again, individual work bleeding into collective work, right? Let's work on training elders. Let's work on guiding and promoting and fostering shepherds. This is up to all of us to work on and to strive for. Again, We've got to have a, a, a long-standing vision. We've got we to be looking at the future. We don't need to be these congregations that just look every few years and say, oh, do we have anybody qualified? Nope. Okay. Then don't do anything for five, maybe ten years before they look again. That's a recipe for disaster. That's a recipe for congregations that do not have leadership.
And so that's part of our collective work. And let me say as well that in absence of elders, I think what we can prove through the scripture is that that authority, that importance spreads throughout all the membership. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, I can lead things and say things with the authority of an elder. But I am saying the work needs to be done, regardless of whether the elders are there or not. We should also be willing to give the local congregation our loyalty, our cooperation, our time, and yes, our money. <laughs> I have a relationship to my local congregation that I have with no other congregation anywhere. I have a relationship with y'all here at North Columbus and all the members here. We all have a relationship with each other that we do not maintain with any other congregation. And I say that because it's good for us to visit. It's good for us to go to other places. It's good for us to help other people. We can go and help other congregations in their outreach and evangelism. And we can study with them and we can help with them in any way. But let me suggest that our primary interest, of course, while it is in the kingdom, right? Colossians 4.11 refers to fellow workers for the kingdom of God. But ultimately, there is a special relationship to primarily working within our own congregation while still caring and being aware of what is going on elsewhere. It's an interesting balance. Are we promoting the work of our local congregation? In our personal lives, are we promoting the work of the local congregation? This is not about whether we share Facebook statuses or things like that, but just in general. We want to think about the fact that I want to be making sure that, that this work, that this uh, striving together is something that other people see as, as being important. And I want to make sure that others see that in a sense that I'm making priorities for this. I'm responsible toward the congregation in terms of my attendance, my contribution, and my work. In Philippians 1 and verse 1, it says there that Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, they were writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. In Acts, I don't have the... Okay. For some reason, I had that in a different animation there. In Acts 15.4, Acts 15.4, it says, When they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. That's not referring to the universal church. That's referring to the church in Jerusalem. So again, I, I'm stressing the sense that since there is a distinction here within the scriptures between what we would see as the universal church, right? In Acts 2, I think uh, God added to the church daily, such as had been saved. That's the sense of the universal church. But there is a distinction that is made very quickly, even within the book of Acts, between the sense of a local church and the universal church. And so I have a responsibility to be uh, faithful in the work of the local church. Since the local church has its own treasury, I need to be giving regularly to that treasury. We see that in 1 Corinthians uh, 16.2, uh, laying something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. That's the... That's the model that we have. Some people have a problem with the fact that in context, that's for a special collection. Well, I would, I would argue, I would ask, argue, it's, I would ask, if we don't 
get the authority for laying up for a treasury from there, where do we get it from? We don't get it from anywhere else. It's impossible for a congregation to plan and execute the work of God in terms of financial matters unless they have full cooperation of all the members. So if I'm a member of a local congregation, it is my responsibility to give to that treasury out of what I have. I can't let someone else do that for me. You know, someone may say, well, I, I know brother so-and-so is a big giver. Because, I mean, I, 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 I count the collection plate. I, I've seen how much he gives. So he gives enough and we'll be fine. I don't have to give quite as much. You see, that's pushing off on someone else. That's not looking at it in the right way. Since the local church has its own assemblies, I'm responsible to be at those assemblies. Hebrews 10:25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And what are we doing in these assemblies? We're edifying each other. Ephesians 4:16. That's what we need to be working toward. The effective working in which every part does its share, Paul refers to in that passage. You think about the importance of these services. The Lord's Supper is taken in these services. All these good things are happening here. Now, even in terms of the local church, I have an individual and a collective duty to discipline the unruly and to restore the erring. Uh, just a few things to consider as far as what's being said in these particular passages. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13, this is a collective thing, right? When you're gathered together, deliver this man who had his father's wife to, to Satan so that his soul may be saved in the day of judgment. However, Galatians 6, 1 and 2 is a sense of an individual restoring, right? You go out and you restore that person in the spirit of weakness considering yourself, considering yourself. There's an individual context there. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 2 Thessalonians 3 kind of helps us with the attitude concerning that, in, that uh, job that we have to admonish those who are unruly. Second uh, Thessalonians 3 and verse 6, We command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Okay, withdraw from them. That means I'm never going to talk to them again. That means I'm never going to have any kind of uh, uh, going back and forth with them. Well, look at verse 14. If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And so the sense of the individual not keeping company with him. Now let me ask too, as we, as we try to kind of parse this out, even when, for example, if the collective has not yet done what it's supposed to do in terms of the brother or sister who's erring, does that mean that I, as an individual, cannot do what I'm supposed to do? I don't think it does. Even if the local church has not, for whatever reason, has not done what it needs to do towards someone, I, as an individual, can still uh, keep to those lines that God has, has uh, drawn. So we've got collective ad admonishment, individual admonishment, and in Titus 3, I would suggest that it would be both. When we look at Titus chapter 3, and verse 10. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. There's the sense that as an individual and as a congregation, 
that person who is divisive, that person who is pulling people apart, uh, needs to be rejected from that standpoint. So, again, this is part of our work together. And we don't need to push this aside just because it may not be the most fun part of it. The wonderful thing, though, is that as Christians, God calls us to seek to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, when we look at Ephesians 4, we want to consider this. Because when we look at Ephesians 4, is what Paul is saying here done by simply saying, okay, we're all Christians, we're united now. All right, we're united, you know? I'm afraid some Christians think about that. Well, I've, I've just got to have, I've just got to say we're united and we're united. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now there's a couple of things to say here too, because there's two unities described in Ephesians 4. You see here the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But then he also says in verse uh, verse 13, he's talking about in verse 12, the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So again, there's two separate senses of the term unity. There's a unity that we inherit, that we're given, that we all have the unity of the Spirit, but we all work toward the ultimate unity that we're supposed to have. So I just feel like that's an important thing to consider here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul pleads with the brethren in Corinth to, that, that they speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among them, but to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. We see, excuse me, we see very clearly that's the goal. That's where we need to be. How do we get there? Well, we understand that there's the sense that we are all together. We are all unified in a sense. But there's a greater unity that we search for, we strive for. And that's the unity of faith, the unity of practice, and, and, and uh, sort of a spiritual or mental unity, ultimately. And what this all means is that in my conduct in the local congregation, I'm going to make sure that in my teaching and in what I'm working with, if I have something, a, a, an idea that really in some ways is untested, maybe I haven't really put a lot of work into developing it, I'm going to make sure that I take time to study that before I put it, uh, put it on or put, uh, kind of plug it into our work together. I'm going to put, on, put forth an effort to not be spiritually different from the rest of the church. That's basically what it is. We can have our own particular, uh, our own particular thoughts, our own particular ideas, but let's understand that if we work from a standpoint of disunity where we're not willing to have this mindset that we want to be together, we want to work to be completely together, but then also appreciate the fact that we already are together in many ways. Uh, we can, that really can, can very much hurt the work of the local congregation. Well, the local church needs to be really first in my plans for the week, for the year. And the thing is, if we can't speak the same thing, we can't really ultimately remain in the same building too long. We notice and understand that uh, 
a congregation can be divided before they've actually physically divided. And we see that. At the end of the day, we have to understand that our God has raised us up as Christians, not just to be Christians on our own, but to be Christians together. That's going to help us. We've got to know our responsibilities. We've got to know what's expected of us. And now as we consider this, maybe there are some things that, that maybe someone hasn't heard of today. I'm certainly happy to answer any questions that you have in the next hour. Um, but as you, as you think about this, maybe you're thinking, well, I didn't know that. Or maybe, maybe that wasn't something that I was told. Or maybe as, uh, as a member who's been a, been a Christian for a long time, maybe there's something that you've forgotten about. Or, uh, I certainly want to encourage you to think about that in terms of your soul this morning. Uh, we're going to be judged over our individual work and what we're doing. Um, if we don't have a vested interest in our local congregation, in our work together as Christians, then something something's wrong. And I'm not saying it has to be us that's wrong or, or someone that's wrong. It may be just something else. It may be that I just haven't developed as much as I need to. So again, I'm not saying this so that we look at someone else. We need to look at this ourselves right now and ask the question, am I doing what I need to do? Am I working in the way that I need to work at the North Columbus congregation? Am I a part of a congregation? Because I know if I'm not, you think about that. You think about when Paul joined himself, where did he get that? In Galatians it says that he didn't receive word from someone else. He got it straight from God. And so God told him, to go and join himself to the disciples in Jerusalem. Are, you, are we working? Are we striving? If we're not, that needs to change. And if it's something of a public nature, we want to help you, want to pray with you. But at the very least, think about these things. And hopefully you'll be benefited by them. If you need to come to God this morning and seek his forgiveness, we want to help you with that. Whatever you need, please come while we stand and sing.